out there in podcast land is Paul Farron talking for Film Ireland. I'm here with Mark O'Connor, the director and co-writer of Cardboard Gangsters. We're going to talk a little bit about how he does his magic and uh, <laughs> encourage you to go and see his film. So, Mark, before let's get into it, um, Cardboard Gangsters, tell us a little bit yeah. about the film and uh, where it came from. And Yeah, uh, so the film is, uh, well, it's coming out June 16 in the cinemas. Um, it's set in Darndale, and it was originally written by John Connors, uh, who plays the lead uh, role in the film Jay. And it's about four best friends from the area um, who are kind of stuck on social welfare or they're, they're kind of unemployed. They're just hanging around in, in that kind of in-between stage in their life. And they're low-level drug dealing, you know. Um, and they see the local kin- kinpin of the area, Dara Murphy, and what he has, and they aspire to be you know, to be him and to have what he wants, what he has, but they're not really, you know, they're like, they're not psychopaths, so um, they can't really become like him, but they just want the, the glamorous kind of, uh, uh, you know, lifestyle that he has. Uh, this story came from John originally, and then you worked on it with him, and John's lived in Tarndale for a good part of his life, hasn't he? And he would have yeah, yeah. John's his own from observations. The area, John's from the area, you know, uh, he, he's lived there for years, he's just... Uh, moved out recently in, into a campsite uh, where his grandmother lives. Him and his mother have moved out, and, and his brother Packy. But um, he's he so he knows the area. So there was an authenticity uh, to the world, and that's the reason I came on um, came on board as a writer. So he wrote the original script. He worked on it for two years, and then we were kind of struggling with the funding. You know, trying to get diff- different production companies on board, and eventually, John, you know, s- said, "Will you direct the film?" and um, I thought there was a foundation there of a of a good story, the the connection between Dara and Kim, and also between Jay and uh, Dara, but also Jay and his father. There was kind of um, and there was also a lot of realistic stuff that we could bring into the story. I felt there was something that that I could fashion it in a way that this is a film I can make. You know, this is a film that I can incorporate in different types of music. I know this world, you know. So um, that's why I, I came on, and and you know, we kind of talked about the writing of it and. He let me come on uh, very generously. He let me come on and, and, and take control of the script, you know, myself. And so I worked on it for nine months. Uh, but we were always collaborating, you know, the whole stage. And it, then it just became what it, what it, what it is now. And uh, as a writer, actor, how did you find that collaboration? Was there any difference to it? I, I get the impression just from watching the film that John is a, is, is a generous writer, actor. He's about the thing and not about showing off yet he's got a strong central role but the other three guys certainly have a lot of screen time and, and a lot to give as characters yeah I, I think um, when you're working with an actor what you're always looking for is a generosity and um, an openness uh, and being completely open to things um, and John John was was, was the, f- the first thing for him to give me his script that's a personal story to him you know so that's something that he like. It's it's you're talking about his life, his this aspects of his family in there, his father, the relationship. Uh, so for him to give that over to someone else and let them rewrite it, that was very generous and very open, and uh, it was brilliant. And it showed that he trusted me, um, and I obviously trusted him, and we worked together because we worked together on on films before that, you know, Stalker and King of the Travelers. So we built that that trust, you know. Um, well, you'd already put it out there with the, the way you got involved with Stalker as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was a kind of a different writing process on Stalker. Uh, you know, we lived together in the same house on Stalker. 
and we wrote together at, at the laptop and we were bouncing ideas off each other uh, and it was pretty crazy <laughs> you know was it maybe it was maybe some of them there was, there was less paper at the set than there was in this one <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah uh, it was probably too crazy you know like the two of us in the same room together you know uh, but this was a more structured approach and uh, we were going for something that would be international because we, we thought uh, let's just go wild with Stalker and let, let off the loose and just let's do anything we want and even if it even if there's moments where it goes maybe a little bit over the top we can just be free to do anything whereas, yeah. whereas with this we, we specifically knew the genre we, 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 we were just looking to develop the script in the story but in the way we wanted to make it as well you know and that was it. We kind of touched on it briefly, the difference between Stalker and this film, as you say, that you had a lot more responsibility to get people's money back. Whereas with Stalker, <laughs> you had a freedom of kind of mad expression, but people were going to ask questions at a certain point. Why do yeah, you want to do that? That's I mean, the way. <laughs> but but you, still, you can still feel a, a good sense of freedom and trust in the, on the production end of things. Uh, how was that? Because, again, you did have money from uh, BAI, TV3, and... There's yeah. another company outside your own company. Um, was it Nicebridge? Uh, there was Filmbase. And Filmbase as well, yeah, yeah of course. Who, who's, we're Let's here forget we're Filmbase. Filmbase now. Yeah. So thanks to Filmbase um, and Egg Post Production. Um, Which is a big deal. Yeah, it was amazing to get that. And it was the producer, really, that, that got us that because we were looking to close the finance from the BAI and we had literally five days. And myself and John were driving around Dublin City at 8 a.m. And I said, John, I picked him up. I said, John, if we don't close it in five days, we're losing the contract. We're losing the money we have from BI. So I said, we've got to find a producer. Like, it's, it's all going to fall, you know. So we're looking around and uh, none of them, they were all like, no way. You'll never be able to do it. You know, you never. Can and you, can really you say what the budget was or do you want to keep that on Well, the total your, final yeah. budget was 450,000. Wow. But this was 300 grand from the BEI that we, we had. Like, but they had a 12-month contract. And during the process, the, the script... The development that the company we had on did weren't they weren't happy with how we because they wanted a more structured approach and they weren't happy with how myself and John were, were doing it so we were trying to do it this this particular way uh, a more character driven piece and um, very authentic to the area uh, and an, an authenticity of character as well but well, not only authentic to it you're in the area which is a big deal I mean Darndale's a, a tough enough place and you have to know people to move around and that's yeah, another yeah, yeah. fear that's that someone outside yeah that's a whole different yeah exactly and and you need to you need to work with the area i suppose if when you're shooting in a neighborhood like that um you need to have either people that are working on the film in terms of crew or you need to have uh, people that are cast so like we had you know a couple of guys that live there like god creative is from there he's he's a rapper a hip-hop artist which um, guy was he in it he was the guy with the samurai sword who was sniffing the cocaine off the, off the sword so he had his moments. He was good. <laughs> yeah, I oh know he's great, man. He's he's unbelievable uh, musician, you know. Yeah. So uh, he works with another guy, Daniel Doherty, who did the score, and they work out of a, a studio called Darklands. But uh, God Creative is from Darndale, so he was perfect for the film, um, in terms of the music, and and I just thought, oh, he'll work well in a, in a scene or two, um. He actually plays two or three characters in the film. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I did, actually. He's, he's, he's in it a couple of times. Just He just looks different. In he took the beard off, didn't he? Uh, no, he's just dressed up slightly different. And, uh, he's got you see, of, that's good filmmaking when you do that. Say, oh, we can use you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of mad had as an extra one time. I got to play three people in one day. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing, because you don't have the money for the extras. Like, even mm. the nightclub scene. 
we had we, we had to fill out the blacker which is the local nightclub in Darndale that the lads were going to because the lads lived together for six weeks in a house and they were going there you know drinking and partying and whatever to get into character but we had to fill that nightclub out so what they told you <laughs> <laughs> into a like a, basically like a full capacity like you're talking 200 people and we have no budget for this, you know, to pay extra. So we literally had like the first AD, Craig, he was going out in the street and a f- couple of lads and we literally had to pull people in the day and say, here, do you want to come in? And there were lo- people from Darndale just came into the club and, and then I had a megaphone and we were like, can you all start dancing? We're going to put on the music now. John's going to get up on the DJ. And John, they knew John, they recognised him, you know, because he's from Darndale and he, everyone knows him there. So he was getting the crowd going as well, you know. But uh, so we are just... Uh, yeah, the, the extras, like, trying to make it look fucking like it's a full room. You did it. You achieved it. I mean, there's, there's definitely a great energy in, in those scenes that you feel like, yeah, there's lots going on outside the frame. Yeah. But it is from unknown the frame, isn't it? You find as a director, you, once you know what's in front of that's the camera, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's all the problem that matters. is, I didn't know the frame. No, I didn't know the frame. Because <laughs> we had two cameras running. So I'm, I'm with the handheld camera on the dance floor, and I start doing the prodigy dance, like back in the 90s, like going back to my youth. And I'm <laughs> trying to get people dancing because no one's dancing. They're all just standing around, like just kind of moving the shoulders a little bit. But no one wants to dance. And they're kind of like, get on. So then the music comes on. And so they're dancing, but you're talking about shooting over three hours. So if you, if you shot one take, you'd get people dancing. But when you're getting over a couple of hours and you're, you're trying to get you know, dialogue, because the guys are going through the, the crowd and they're dancing and talking. Um, so and and when you, put, you, had, you found you had to play music for real, even though normally you wouldn't on a set, you'd try and have them do it at the silence. Yeah, it was just like, like I've, I've done those scenes before where, where you're shooting in a pub, so I just knew that you have, moment, you have a couple of takes where you've got full on, you know, get, the, get, get your wide shots, uh, get in certain moments that you need. And then you go to uh, the more kind of intimate stuff, the dialogue, and you can turn off the, the music for that. And you don't necessarily need everybody, you know, all the extras in the room going crazy then. Did you do any storyboarding for scenes like that, or did you just kind of have a good sense of a shot list and know where the, the kind of timing of it? Um, yeah, storyboarded. Every, everything in the film was storyboarded. Um, I, I don't really tend to do shot lists. I prefer just having storyboards. But then on the day, just been very open to change because you never know like how a scene's going to look in terms of the lighting, in terms of the set. It might change, but or maybe the the, the, the actors want to do something slightly different. So I never like to be totally static. I like to always be open and free and maybe be open to the, any ideas. The storyboards are great for opening your head and thinking differently about what you've written down. It, gets it away from being just words on paper. Exactly, and it becomes a visual medium then because that's really what cinema is. So you're trying to make it cinematic, but a lot of that was working with the DP as well, Michael Lavelle, who was unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to go to that. Michael did a fantastic job for you. You must have had a good relationship there. It feels that way looking yeah, at it. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, you know, I'd be spending... We spent a couple of weeks before the shoot and then during the shoot, because we were almost trying to catch up and trying to plan for the next day, after after shooting, say we finish at six, like I'd actually go to Michael's house then, and we'd keep working till midnight or one in the morning, and we had to do that because we were trying to stay on top of it. So, um, what was your schedule just to get a sense schedule of schedule was fifteen days. Wow, which is crazy because I was thinking the other Jesus, day. I thought you'd be more generous looking at it. Yeah, like you know, if you look at like a film like Mean Streets, you know, that was twenty seven days. And Scorsese always says that, that that's a very sloppy film because he didn't have enough time. So like 15 days is just insane, like really, you know, because you're talking about a 95-page script, you're talking about probably 40 speaking roles and multiple different locations. The good thing, though, was that it was very contained in one neighbourhood. 
Um, but you're also talking about like a lot of uh, barriers to shooting, you know, when you're in Darndale on the street. Like we had a lot of exterior stuff, which I love doing in, in neighborhoods and on the street, on location, but you have so many different sounds going on, the helicopters and the, it's right beside the airport, so you've got the It's no, very noisy, it's outside, it's the yeah. noisy part of the world. Oh, it's crazy. Because you're just on the, the traffic line for the, the planes all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you had the motorbikes, you know, the dirt bikes going on every so. There was one scene that John was talking to Sarah, uh, the character in the film. Uh, he was kind of outside her house. It's actually cut from the film. Uh, but he's talking to her, she's at her window. And there was a plane literally every 50 seconds. Like it was, it was crazy. And there was motorbikes. You know, they all say, what they say is <laughs> shoot a picture of a plane and then you get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We tried to do that as well, you know, to, 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 to feel like it's, it's part of the. The feeling of escapism, you know, for these guys that are locked in their situation, they're almost incl in enclosed, in, they're in caged in, in this neighbourhood where there is a lack of opportunity. And myself and Michael talked about that in terms of how we're going to shoot it as well, like, you know, where it's all going to, you're going to see the, the roads, the, the, the way Darndale is uh, circular and it's, uh, and also the, the cages in terms of the barriers, the rail rails. So we're going to shoot certain moments behind the railings, like, you know, like Dano, where he's, Iron up Dara behind the rails, it's almost like that feeling of he's like a caged animal. Yeah. So you have references to that. So that was one of the kind of t themes or ideas that we, we talked about, you know, that, that feeling of being enclosed and there's no escape. And the only escape is for Jay to leave to Spain. Um, you know, that's his only way out. And that's why at the so end. So it was a oh, conscious decision to never really break out of uh, Darren Dale at all, as you say. Yeah, no. From the story initially, or all the way, all the way through. No, all, all uh, never, never. We would never wanted to get out of the neighborhood because yeah. this, this is a neighborhood film, as in like a hood genre film, you know, where it's enclosed within the neighborhood, and because uh, if you see the guys, I think maybe you know in town and or in their jobs somewhere else, it doesn't have that same feel, you know. It doesn't yeah. have that same entrapment. On uh, I, I remember one of the characters goes, "We go to that office it's on the edge of Darndale." And it was a very specific line that I felt, yeah, you're, you're making a point of it's Darndale and it was the world. <laughs> That's exactly what it was, you know. It, it, it actually, I think in the script, it read, it read Edge of Darndale. You know, like it was like the, that's the line, and outside they're going to rob something. It's outside of, the, outside of there. As if it's almost okay to go there. Yeah, yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to rob those guys because yeah. they're not like us. <laughs> I still can't believe you did it in 15 days. Yeah. And on that budget, too, that's an amazing bit of work. So what was it? Was it kind of fifteen hour days or what? For, for everybody else, I mean, um, in terms of shoot. No, it was it was just regular days, like ten hours. But we we kept running over, and the producer was going crazy, like you know, going crazy at me. So I'm under my pressure from the first CD and the producer and whoever else the whole time, like you know, Mark, we have no money for this. We just ran over. Everyone's pissed off or whatever, and you know, but but it was just it was it, I understood where he was coming from because. Uh, you know, we were trying to do this film in such a short space of time. We were under massive constraints budget-wise with the crew, with the camera stuff we had. Like Michael pulled it, pulled an amazing deal with the the lighting guys. We we had great you know gaffers and mm -hmm. uh, different crew. So, um, but I was just trying to get what we needed, you know, because um, it was I was trying to compromise a little bit, but no. not not. I always was trying to just make sure we just get that scene because some of the scenes were just really really complicated because we wanted to do these tracking shots or not tracking but oneers where it's either steady cam or it's on the movie you know um was there a lot of steady in it 
Yeah, there was there's a lot of these one-er shots. So yeah, I remember um, especially with like the chainsaw scene and then the party scene. You use a quite there was a really nice. One yeah, one that there. was all in one, you know. Yeah. And uh, it it wasn't just a stylistic thing. It was in in moments where you're in the moment and you want to feel what's it like to be say in a party scene, or where Sean comes up. I don't want to give it away, but what what happens in the scene with Sean where he comes up, yeah. you know, into the into the in the field. That moment where you feel like you're in it and um. You're, you're part of it and what if because when it, you it hold is on that you know when you quite hold a prevalent device in, in, in that genre as it were I mean it's a, you do see it a lot Scorsese again use amazing ones especially Goodfellas I think I think he uses it unbelievably and the reason and he, he uses it so well is because he's showing you what it's like to, to go through the restaurant and to be like a mob guy you know when you're walking through these areas but I think sometimes in films they don't use it well because they're just trying to do it because yeah. it looks yeah. it looks great, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, it, it's like seeing that the one are done badly. That does, does that forgets that it's it's supposed to be organic. Yeah, and you can feel that the the bounce and the movements going to one thing and the other thing. I mean, yeah. Spielberg's another great uh, one are filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you know, and uh, but I think I think Straight Outta Compton now. I, I actually really liked the film. It was amazing, but I thought they did that a couple of times where they were just doing it to show like, look at this camera shot. You know, and I hate that when they when I, do I don't mind when Brian De Palma does it. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, for, for what for what shot? Oh, Brian, but anything you know, Ray, Ray, raising cane, right, or right. touchables, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, jeez, yeah. The baby, the baby going down the stairs. I was, you know, this is one of the things I did. I studied, I studied shots before this film, and I and I, you know, without replicating other shots, I looked at shots and I was trying to think how can we make really fucking unique shots, like so not copy shots because. I know, but, and use them to tell the story. Enough. That's the, yeah, that's a difficult thing. You know, use them to tell. The but it's story. what happens with a lot of your uh, new filmmakers. They get caught up on the excitement of, of what the camera can do, and they forget about what they're pointing at. Yeah, exactly. That's it's, the it's danger. All about, and it can be used in certain ways to maybe build tension, or to create suspense. Like the Palmer's genius at that. You know, creating suspense within scenes and, and building that. But actually, one of the shots that I that we have in the film that I'm talking about, Deshaun. You know when he's walking through the field you know, without giving it mm -hmm. away but anyway he's, he's he's walking through this field but he's holding something but it's that that actually came from i was discussing how we can do this shot and i was talking to my brother-in-law who's the makeup guy on it and through the discussions we were kind of filming it on the, ca on the camera phone and my sister was holding you know something behind her back and and i realized i could do it in a certain way um just through exploring you know mm -hmm. exploring like where can it be and how are we going to build that tension by just where you see something and you know what's going to happen the audience knows what's going to happen but uh, it's how it happens that yeah. really is where the the sort of revelation comes from yeah and and so gra graphically you know how it happens then because it, um, because you hear about those uh things you know in the media those those you know See, I don't want to give away the scene, but you hear. You have to go and see it and find out who Sean is and what he does and why it's a good shot. Yeah, it's it. That's it's we're not explaining what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't, uh, they'll have to go and see the film. You just yeah. tease them so they can go and see. Sorry, it. I should be talking about. But it, tell but me this. Um, but that like, kind of pressure that you had, as you said, fifteen days is amazing. But it, was there that sense of rushed worry, or did you just go into it knowing where the energy was going to be, and get a sense of it right from the start? Because um, your first day and your last day are two different things in terms yeah. of your mood and oh, the attitude. Geez, man, yeah, totally. Like um, the first day was just 
it was it was very hectic because you know you're you're it takes you a couple of days just to find your feet and and, and for for and, people and, to and, listen to you and, and you're scheduling it that way and thinking that way in your shots aren't you yeah i mean you're gonna you're not gonna do the hardest shot first yeah first exactly day. you know and like and, possible and and like i've worked with a lot of these guys before but you know i'm probably quite a soft director in terms of how i work with people you know i'm not like an authoritarian or like I don't start saying you're fired on the first day to get respect. You it's know, a bit boring that I, nowadays, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm looking to work with people who f- fuck the respect. Let's just we're all together and let's just have the crack and make a great film and focus. You, know, you that's had a great confederate in John anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and the lads, and that's why I'm trying to work with people like that. You know, um, it does sound like as well you did a, a good solid preparation to be able to to work that 15 days as well. I mean, John was saying the guys got into character and spent a lot of time together before they went anywhere. Yeah, so John's, you know, uh, the John's gang, uh, you know, Kobe, Glenner, uh, Jay, and, and they lived in a house together for six weeks um, and they were getting into character. It was John's mother's house actually, so it was weird because I felt that that was a perfect place for that to happen because John owned the house, it's his house, so the lads are obviously gonna be like, they're, in, they're living in his house, so he becomes the leader, you know? And uh, they, they just started to assume their positions, which was how we envis- envisaged them originally. They became exactly like that, you know? Like Kobe was sort of being the laid back one and a bit funny. And the other, Dano and Glenner, started having a bit of tension there. And they started having read-throughs and they were going out having a crack in the blacker. But it became like the, the gang, exactly what myself and John wanted, like what we talked about. So that was good, but we also had Dara's gang you know, meeting up and yeah, they, spending yeah, time yeah. together, like in Damo's house, like Jimmy Smallhorn and his guys, and not meeting the other guys, so that there's complete separation there between the between those uh, two, two mm-hmm. groups, you know, so that hopefully it'll show on screen. We, I don't think they met each other until we had those moments. Which is not, it's nice to do that. Did you feel like that was important, or did you care that the two opposing forces met on the day on the set? I, I think there can be too much made of some of those ideas. Yeah, I, I think sometimes there can be too much made, but also I think... Oh, Greengrass used it in that film he did with Tom Hanks, with the Somalian pirates. No one saw the lads who were playing Somalian pirates until they actually attacked the ship. <laughs> I go, you did that the first time, but it's not it, you're only going to do it the first time. Yeah, yeah. Back and pretend you never saw them before, and we're going to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> I know, that's the thing, like, you know, these things are a bit weird, and they don't, they don't necessarily always work, especially when they say, like, Oh, I'm not gonna do it until until we're shooting, say the first take, and then I'm gonna show them the script or something. Because the thing is, you, you don't usually use the first take, or you might get a good reaction on a, on a on a close up on one angle for for the for, then you're gonna use loads of the rest for the rest of the scene. So, but uh, I do think feeling is very important in terms of film. So everything is like months and months of preparation, how you're interacting with yeah. people, how you're getting on with people, and you're having this thing. And it all just feeds into the film, I think. Yeah. And that's why it all, you know, I think... I, I, th- I got a, a great quote from a, Ben Wheatley. At a, the, he, did a, he won the, some kind of Ford Award years ago, symposium. And he said, it's, saying the lines with intent is great over and over. You, you, a good actor can always do that. But reacting to them and feeling it, seeing it in their eyes is another thing. And that goes very, very fast. Mm. And keeping that energy level and understanding that it's there. No matter how professional they are. There's a point where they kind of peak, so yeah. you are trying to get it at a certain point, yeah. which is again you as a director you're trying to manipulate four or five things at once, yeah, yeah. and then, but also trusting what people can bring to the table. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, you know, when you're shooting, when you're on set, when you're trying to find the moment within a scene, there's so many different things at play. You know, 
and it's the interaction between the, the actors as well it's it's great when you have two actors that really connect as well you know mm. and and have the pl they're playing off well off each other and um, that's it's beautiful when you get that um so yeah this you know there's so much, so many things kind of play at play but i think a lot of this a lot of this stuff go you know the groundwork i think should be done beforehand so that when you get on set you know i remember <laughs> my, my brother was on set one time and he said uh i think it was one of the films stalker one of those uh and he said um oh you're you're not directing there like there's the other guys shouting or whatever you know like and i said uh I, no, it said to him then later, you know, that day, like, you know, you don't really sh need to shout, you know, because you've kind of, you've hopefully worked out the character for three months beforehand. So when you get there, you don't need to start saying anything, you know, yeah. if they're, if they're doing something a bit fucking fucked up or weird, you know, you're going to say, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so hopefully like they understand it. Yeah, I, I find out with people that they think directing such it's, it's uh, intensely proactive as in you're constantly doing something and puppeteering people. And it's the opposite. The directing halftime is the things you don't say. hundred percent. hundred percent. Almost like feeling like uh, Jim Sheridan said something I thought was really, really interesting because I definitely would feel that sometimes. But he was saying, you know, when you're going into a scene with actors, you are almost giving them so much control and trust and, and, and power of their lines within a scene that you're, you're almost saying, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Tell me what's going on. And when, when you're saying that, then the person's going oh i know what's going on you know this is this i'm gonna own this then i'm gonna i'm gonna own this scene so you're almost stepping back but you've you've built that you've built the bond and you've talked to them about the scene you've 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 kind of maybe if there's you've, you've tweaked certain things you know along the way and then you're just letting them be do themselves let them act you know yeah you're you're not an actor you're just a fucking director so step back and let them let the magic happen because they're going to bring something that you could never do it's, it's you know? why you so, got them to do it in the first place Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think John Houston's great quote from him was that he said that he felt directing that ninety percent of his directing job, <clears throat> at least in terms of actors, was casting them. Yeah. He said, "Don't cast the wrong actor because yeah. then you're going to have an awful hard job for the rest yeah, of it." Yeah, definitely. Casting is just so, so, so important. And I, I feel as well that it's not just what they can do in front of the camera; it's how they're going to affect the energy of everything throughout mm. that, especially on that schedule you had, fifteen days. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. the energy's wonky; it upsets everything. Yeah, and it's also, do they understand the material? Like, do they connect with the material and with you as a director? Because, you know, when you meet people and you, you're, you're auditioning to certain people, like, or, or you might get an actress or an actor, this has happened before, that they're almost, like, too strong for the character. The actress or actor, like, it's like De Niro not getting the role for The Godfather. Maybe he was almost a certain way. The like Pacino part. Yeah, like James Caan, <coughs> and, and, and obviously De Niro was unbelievable like and he didn't get that you know he didn't get that no sorry it was the James Conner I think oh was it the James Conner okay the yeah. yeah which is great isn't it because it, it turned yeah. out pretty well for them. the audition but I was thinking about that more and I was thinking maybe because he wasn't coming across as a family man because if you look at James Khan in that film he's very like far family oriented oh yeah but he, he's a wonderful actor. ball of contradictions it's all about family, but I'm going to shag this mistress away. Now. Oh yeah, completely. Like you know, the juxtaposition. I mean, that's, that's the introduction to him is a, a door banging away at a wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's always like really interesting when you can have two opposites working together. It's really powerful. Like whether, you know, whether it's in music, you know, like it's a, say we're boxing and classical music, like in Raging Bull, or whether it's literally just 
in two characters and mm. they're just oil and water you know like yeah. a buddy story where they're, they're just different like in swingers you know or in sideways it, it is but it's back to this thing of casting because you're not just casting one person as in like okay cast you yeah you're great now i get you you're great you want to see what they all look like and what whether they're floating around on that screen together yeah and it. back to the godfather example is like can is the most unusual looking of the three brothers you're just two. You can. You can, They've got that Italian look, that yeah, yeah, dark look. And if you if you had De Niro in that mix as well, they just look too obviously too, too Italian, maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. He, he almost looks like a cuckoo in the nest, in fact. The, the look is important as well, you know. And, and, and an actor and actress, they can't help what they look like, mm. you know. They, you know, it's just. Uh, but yeah, sometimes the, they, it doesn't. So that's why Vittoria De Sica got into that neorealism. He believed that. Uh, actors could only do so much, no matter how great they were. So he was always going out looking for ordinary people to right. to play roles. Because especially if he's a baker, hey, well, he knows what baking is. So he's got, he got that's he's it. been auditioning no, for the role that's, all his life. That's it. It's the authenticity of, of of a character, you know. That, that and I, I'm always looking for that. So it's and it's difficult sometimes, but you know. But yeah, the thing is, with non-actors, the ex- experience does count for a lot, you know. And star quality and that stuff, you know, learning lines, a lot of that stuff. So. You know. And again, the non-actor term I find is a very uh, it doesn't really uh, cover what it means for someone to come in and want to do a part. Some some people come along as non-actors, yet they've got all the intent that you need for it. Others don't. They're going to be shyer, and you're not going to use them in the same way. Yeah. Did you find that? Because I mean, you I mean, you got a few non like good few non-actors in there, I think. Yeah. And it gave great performances as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, most of the non-actors we have would be just kind of small roles, but there was. Um, just within the process you know finding different people characters from the area or people that we just would like for instance there's a scene where a uh, little dialect or his name is Paul, Paul Allwright now he's changed his name he's a brilliant musician he has some music in the film but he plays uh, Glenner but there's a scene where we were kind of trying to find this thing where Jay is dealing to these two guys and Glenner is trying to explain about his music to the, to the girl, you know, it's to make it authentic, but he's, he's explaining about his new album. His new, and we found this girl and she was just in Darnell, she was kind of hanging around the set, but she was just perfect, you know, and it was a nice contrast between what she looked like to what Glenner looked like, because he's kind of fair and she's kind of very dark and um, she just fit the scene and she was very authentic. So. Um, we let her just improvise and and um, I just started letting them chat so it, it wasn't really in the script um, and we just said like let's let's chat about your album so he starts telling her about his album and takes out his headphones and he's, he's actually listening to his to his album and he's explaining like here listen to my new track and she's like when's it coming out or you know and and, and so it was so natural you know but we're playing that against the background because we had the foreground that's going on, but the background, the real things going on, which is John, you know, what he's going to about to witness, you know, what he's going to see without giving it away again. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, we should we should start wrapping up because you've got another interview to go to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, what's? I hope is this going to get a distribution in England as well? You, I think you're showing. Yeah, there, we're you? we're kind of um, working on that. Like we're we're seeing how this cinema release is going to go, but Wildcard are working with a distributor in the UK, so it's going to be coming out there after yeah and um, but just hopefully people here will go see it <laughs> and uh, future projects for yourself i think you mentioned something to me the other day yeah so i'm working on a tv show um called darklands it's a six-part drama for version media um that just got the go ahead so that's kind of the main project um and then i'm work i've got a few other kind of feature uh, scripts like a comedy and a 
one or two other ones. Finally, a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You I do feel like you're kind of escaping like, the dark genre, yeah. I, I, I need to, yeah, like the thing is, like, uh, I need to do something else. Like, I remember, I remember hearing an interview with Scorsese, and he was saying he, there's no way he's going to do something else in the crime genre. He has to do, once he does, you know, like another different type of genre, then he can go back and do that again, you know. But I suppose I'm just I'm just taking a project by project. Like if it's if it's if it's a good project, yeah, it's a good project. you know. Yeah. <laughs> it just, just happens, as you say. It just happens that those ones keep rising to the you know <laughs> getting the fun and stuff. Well, what was Scorsese's first comedy? King of Comedy, wasn't it? Or was King it, Comedy, uh, yeah, but that was like his eighth film or something. I think. Yeah. But he made, but see, he did. He made like he made Boxcar Berta, Who's a Knocking on My Door, Alice Doesn't Live Here, and before but before he made Mean Streets, he made all these films. Man. You know, I remember if isn't there. Uh, visiting his house on, on, on Mulberry Street you know Stockton you know where he lived as you do yeah and, uh, and his neighbours took me around the neighbourhood and showed me like the Scorsese Italian uh, cookbook and they, they showed me into the butcher shop where, where he shot scenes from he was knocking on my door and this is back in 2001 and on that note thank you Mark uh, good yeah. luck with it and we'll be Thanks keeping an eye out thank you cheers